Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are discussing Mr. Harry James Potter, part two, the last character episode, probably. Yeah. I, yeah. I really can't think of any characters that we could actually get an episode out of that we haven't done yet, but maybe if this goes on for even more time maybe we'll get back around to redoing some more <laughs> that's characters good point. Yeah, yeah yeah that's a good point well yeah this is the second of two harry episodes um i don't know you can go back and listen until the first one if you ha- if you missed that uh it is we in the first one we covered more like basic facts about harry's life and then kind of like the different roles that he plays talking about him in different scenarios and then this is going to be just more like I don't know things that we can debate and just the more intricate parts of his personality maybe yeah so if we didn't talk about anything here there's a good chance that we talked about in our first episode so if you haven't listened check that one out first yeah or in, like, any of our previous episodes, because I feel like... <laughs> Harry normally just gets talked about anyways. <laughs> it's That's why it's been so weird, like, setting up episodes mm. to talk about Harry. Like, I don't... I don't know. I feel like he's not a character that's, like, talked about, like, on his own. Yeah, yeah. Because just, like, the whole story is Harry. I don't know. Yeah, and because, like, we see so much of the series from, like, his perspective... We have, like, such a raw look at his, like, thoughts and feelings on things. It does make it, like, less fun to talk about who he is as a character because, like, we know him so intricately. Yeah, there's less, like, less speculation, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, like, because we know him so intricately and so well, he's, like, not as interesting (laughs) you know like because we know mystique yeah 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 we there's no like fun like theorize there's not much theorizing that we can do about harry this episode is pretty much everything we can theorize about yeah so yeah yeah um so before we go any further our patron of the episode is michael and michael is our last ever patron yeah but yeah, just another, I feel like we've been doing this a lot lately, but another thank you to everyone who was ever a patron of ours. Um, you guys kind of rock. Yeah, I'm going to get sentimental for just a moment here because tying into the announcement we're going to be talking about next, this is our last like regularly scheduled podcast mm-hmm. for the, you know, yeah, it's our last regularly scheduled podcast. We'll update you guys on kind of how it's going to go from here on out. But, like, it really, I'm just, like, it blows my mind, and I'm so thankful all of the, like, support that we've gotten over the past three-plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought that we would have the amount of, like, downloads and listens and listeners that we had, let alone, like, a Patreon where people, like, 
gave us money because they liked hearing our podcast so much <laughs> and wanted to support us going like the extra mile that way. Um, it really has just been so fun and amazing. And I don't want that to sound like it's the end because it's not. We just don't for sure. We have a plan for the future and we'll see if that works. But if it doesn't work for us, you know, it's not. We want to make sure that like we can still have our own lives and make sure we can do our own things. We do want to prioritize this podcast because I do think it's important to both of us, but there comes a point where it's just not feasible anymore. And we'll see if that happens when I move overseas with the time difference and such like that. But we are tentatively planning on keeping on doing one episode a month like we talked about previously and it being a chapter reread episode, either given uh, given to us by a listener or I think we're going to stick to kind of random number generator ones because <laughs> that's fun. Um, it's more like surprising and would maybe have us do episodes that we wouldn't think to do. Um, Mm -hmm. but so just keep on the lookout on Facebook and Instagram, um, just because we don't know for sure when the next episode is going to be coming out. Once I move and kind of get settled and Audrey moves and gets settled, um, we'll have a better idea of kind of what the plan is going to be moving forwards for October and beyond. Yeah, but we'll definitely keep you guys posted as we know things. Uh, but just to reiterate what Katie said, um even though you know not the end yeah but, you know it feels like a change um yeah like this is very much just a project born out of like two friends who dreamed of having a podcast <laughs> and it's very much like if you haven't picked up on it even though we've said it multiple times like this is a way that we've like we've used this project to like keep our friendship you know like regular and talking to each other because we have not lived in the same place like since pre this podcast starting so (laughs) it's you know we're recording over zoom and it's literally just two people like sitting in their bedroom separately (laughs) and like talking into the void so uh any support that we've gotten from our family and people who know us but also like and even more so um people who don't know us is it means a lot to us and it's it's just cool to have like done this and to be doing this um it definitely like brought us things that I think we never would have expected yeah yeah I think I've loved every minute of a minute of it except for the editing yeah <laughs> that's never fun and for me writing the notes right sometimes researching and writing the notes can be fun you know you uncover fun little mm things but sometimes it's not you would like you wish that you didn't have to write it yeah I wish somebody (laughs) would just do it for me (laughs) um but with chapter rereads I really think that one of the things I love about doing them so much is that almost every time I do it so I listen to the chapters while I type notes just because it's easier I can like multitask that way and almost every time I do it I like listen past that chapter and kind of get Mm. like sucked back into whatever book it is every single time And I have not done a reread or a re-listen of the series in so long. Like, probably one of the longest stretches that I've gone without it. So, like, doing the chapter rereads every once in a while kind of gives me a little bit of a taste back into the series. (laughs) A scattered reread. Yeah. 
But anyways, let's get this show on the road. I'm going to be starting with a section entitled Gryffindor vs. Slytherin. So in your mind, flashback to the first book when Harry puts on the sorting hat and the sorting hat says, like, you'd be great in Slytherin. And Harry says, basically, like, anything but Slytherin. I don't want to be in Slytherin. The sorting hat goes, well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor. So we're going <laughs> to talk about maybe if Harry could have done well in Slytherin, could Harry... And, Maybe not so much of that, because I think that he would have failed in Slytherin, kind of no matter what. I don't think he... We already know he hated Draco Malfoy, so that would have been a recipe for disaster, I think, if he was put in Slytherin with Draco and everybody who Mm. is friends with Draco. But kind of does his personality, would he... Would sorting him in Slytherin make any type of sense? So I got a lot of these from an article online entitled like five reasons Harry should be in Slytherin and for right now I'm not going to talk about the effect the Horcrux might have played into this because I'll be talking about the effect of the Horcrux on Harry in a later section so for right now let's just kind of pretend like the Horcrux doesn't exist Harry is Harry (laughs) Harry's personality is what it is And so we're not going to talk about, you know, part of a Slytherin heir being in Harry, Harry being able to speak parcel tongue. Like, those are all things that come from the Horcrux. Granted, like, Harry is, like, somewhat related to Slytherin, but because he's related to the Peverells, he's kind of related to everybody in the Wizarding World, so it doesn't really count. But anyways, so I think that one of the weaker points for Harry but I think should still be talked about because it's one of the most like key iconic traits for Slytherins is his ambition. So I don't think that Harry is not ambitious but I don't think that he is like super ambitious either right like we see him wanting to succeed multiple times throughout the books like he wants to succeed in school he wants to succeed when he's a triwizard tournament like he in a triwizard champion he wants to Mm. be an or which is like a fairly high profile job he eventually becomes like head of a department at the ministry i think that all of those things would be hard if you don't have like at least a little bit of ambition you know like harry wants a good life he wants um successful life that kind of thing but it's not like the be-all end-all for him which is why I say like I think it's a point that should be brought up but I don't think it's like the clincher that like makes me be like yes this is what makes Harry a Slytherin um and I think it comes down to like why he wants to succeed I don't think his ambition is born out of this like need for fame or attention or notoriety which I think is a lot of the times how it's like read for Slytherins like especially kind of like well Slughorn is is kind of a different ambition like he wants to surround himself with people who do have fame who do have attention who do have notoriety so it's like kind of the same but like kind of different But with Harry, I think he just wants to succeed because he, like, wants to make his parents proud. He wants to be, like, a good member of society. He wants to be a successful member of society. He wants to have a good life. Um, Not so much for, like, the power that it gives him, which, again, is, I think, kind of how it's coded 
for it to be a Slytherin tree is like Slytherins are ambitious because they like the power and fame that come with being ambitious and succeeding. But I don't think that's really the case with Harry, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I feel like ambition, while it's one of the like most notable traits for Slytherin, I think that it's like very hard to point to either a character in Harry Potter or just like a person in general who's not like ambitious for something in life. Like, I feel like so many people, like, being ambitious might be kind of like a rare trait, but like saying that somebody's like definitively not ambitious, I think is pretty rare. So yeah. I do think it's, like, you could make an argument for, like, almost any character being in the book being ambitious. Yeah. Um, but anyways. Um, I think these next two points are the most solid points. So the next one is that he's cunning, which is another one, another trait that's, like, kind of quintessential for Slytherin. He's very good at coming up with solutions for his problems and a lot of the times those solutions include breaking the rules which I think is like kind of a way of cunning right like not only is he creating solutions to his problems in like quote-unquote creative ways he's like kind of bending the rules to do so which makes his like means what's it what is it like the means justify the ends and that's kind of like maybe the connotation of cunning the ends justify the means. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. So yeah. he's very quick to use his invisibility cloak when and wherever it works for him, <laughs> right? Like, he has no qualms with using it. And, like, you do you. Like, it's yours. But normally when he's using his invisibility cloak, it's, like, because he's breaking a rule. It's because he's out of bed after hours. It's because he's leaving the castle when he shouldn't. It's because he's entering the restricted section of the library and he's not supposed to because he's breaking into Hogsmeade. Like, the invisibility cloak is a tool that he uses to successfully break rules and to find solutions to whatever problems he has. It's very, like, infrequently a safety thing. Yes. <laughs> like, it's yeah. a safety thing when Dumbledore is, like, put your invisibility cloak on. Yeah, and, like, that's kind of the, like, the quintessential version of the cloak that we see in the Tale of the Three Brothers is that it's used as kind of this, like, low-stakes safety precaution right like the third brother just uses it to hide from death he doesn't use it to boast about beating death he doesn't use it to bring anybody back from the dead um that kind of thing um one way one thing to push back on there using it to break rules is exactly how we see james use it yeah and has anyone ever called james a slytherin no I don't think so. <laughs> but I do think that Harry, I have some other examples. That was just my baseline example. Okay. I think that also a word that is used a lot, kind of maybe not like in the book canon for Slytherin, but in like the extended canon for Slytherin mm. is resourceful. Resourceful is a word that's like used over and over again to describe Slytherins. And I think Harry is very resourceful in using his invisibility cloak, but also these two other key instances I like I will bring up is the Half-Blood Prince notes in Half-Blood Prince. He uses them kind of in like this like sly, cunning way in potions to 
not only become like a better student, but also like when he needs Slughorn to be on his side and when Mm, Harry needs to endear Slughorn and like to him, he uses that even more as a reason to like, I can, he, he like uses that as an excuse basically. Like I can use the book. Now it's not just for my own personal gain. It's like to help me get closer to Slughorn, which helps my like situation with Dumbledore like it's very resourceful it's very cunning it's a very creative solution to said problem yeah instead of just like being better at both yeah yeah he kind of has like multiple motives but I think the real kicker is his use of Felix Felicis which also comes in Half-Blood Prince both Mm. the time when he doesn't use it which I think is arguably maybe the most cunning thing Harry ever does throughout the series (laughs) but also the time he does use it so the time where he doesn't use it that I'm talking about is obviously when he like tricks Ron into thinking that he took the Felix Felicis to like not feel pressure for the Quidditch game and then go on them to succeed and to do his best. So I think that takes a fair amount of cunning and resourcefulness. Like he has to know, number one, why Ron isn't performing to the best of his abilities. He then mm. has to like find a way to use the like tools and resources that he has to like convince to fix said problem. And it works. And then also when he uses it to get the memory from Slughorn, I think that's a very creative solution to the problem. I, like, don't think that Felix Felicis would be something I would immediately think to use. Because um. it's kind of like a, um, I don't know, I feel like getting information out of somebody, like, luck isn't really involved in that, right? Like, right, and like Harry, the, Harry laid the, the groundwork beforehand, which obviously helped, but yeah. still. But, like, the battle, the use in the battle. Yes, I feel like that is, like, the more classic, yeah. less cunning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I think it was, like, maybe a little bit more creative, a little bit more, like, or a little bit less obvious of a way to use the Felix Felices. Mm. And, again, he's using it in a way that is not, like, for personal gain, which you could say maybe is not Slytherin. I feel like maybe it would be more classic Slytherin to use your cunning and your resourcefulness for personal gain. But it's kind of It is kind of personal personal gain. gain. You're right. But it's, like doing what Dumbledore told him to do and he feels bad that he's failed because like he feels so like indebted and I don't know connected to Dumbledore that he like feels bad that he's failing him yeah so this is another I think this is a good point but I think this is one that like kind of like Audrey said before that I think could very easily be turned into isn't that a Gryffindor trait and we talk about this all the time that like Slytherin and Gryffindor are really a lot more similar than you would expect (laughs) so this one is having a certain disregard for the rules so this is inherently like not like it's not inherently a Slytherin trait but it's not inherently a Gryffindor trait either but I do think it, like, it falls in line with probably both of those houses and their personalities yeah. and the people involved. Um, so my first note is Harry. Do, does Harry even know what rules are? He's, like, perfectly fine, like I said, being, be- being out of bed after hours, leaving the castle, breaking into parts of the castle he shouldn't, and, like, talking back to teachers, which I feel like is maybe the least Gryffindor out of all of those I feel like I don't know like it does it feels more mean-spirited which 
Sarah typically feels more Slytherin, <laughs> but I'll talk about later, like, maybe why Harry feels morally justified. Because he only talks back to certain teachers, to be fair. Um, so this is kind of where I maybe make more of the argument for Gryffindor, but, like, Harry doesn't really break the rules just to, like, break the rules. He normally has, like, a greater good reason for breaking these rules, right? Like, he's out of bed after hours one time, like, breaking out of the castle to go see Hagrid because Hagrid just hatched a dragon and, like, needs help or whatever. <laughs> or because he um, is trying to help with a buck beak and they're, like, a place that they shouldn't or something like that. Or he's breaking into the restricted section of the library because he's trying to, like, solve the... Philosopher's Stone mystery, which he's trying mm. to protect from who he believes is a bad person, you know, like, mm-hmm. I feel like he normally has reasons. Whether yeah. you, like, believe those reasons are justifiable for him breaking the rules, like, Harry believes that they're justifiable for him to break the rules, right? So I feel like um, he feels morally right to do these things because, like I said, he fe- he believes there's, like, a greater good. And I think that mm. that is more... Gryffindor than Slytherin like we always talk about how kind of like the moral compasses of the four houses and how they kind of work and I think like Hufflepuff goes by kind of like a like a treat everybody kindly moral compass right everybody's Mm -hmm. equal moral compass I feel like Ravenclaw goes by more of like maybe by the book like um does this help Like, does this help me? Does this help knowledge? Does this help blah? Like, that kind of moral compass. I feel like Slytherin, I feel like Gryffindors kind of go by their own moral compass. They can, they make their own morals up and they stick by those morals. And I feel like Slytherin don't have morals. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I like, I, I don't know how I would classify Slytherin on the moral compass, like... Maybe kind of like like Gryffindor, like they make their own morals. I, don't I know. feel like they have like self serving morals. Mm. Like, like there's very few lines they won't cross for themselves. True, you know, like yeah. for their own benefit. Maybe there are lines that they won't cross for other people's benefit, but like there's very few things they won't do, like. To benefit themselves. I don't know if that's, like, a really, like, rude interpretation of that, <laughs> Well, no, because my last note is actually, like, maybe the two houses break rules in different ways. Slytherin break rules for themselves, and Gryffindors yeah. break rules for the quote-unquote, like, greater good. And I feel like yeah. you could make the argument that, like, Fred and George are kind of the same way as Harry, right? Like, they break all of these rules to, like, entertain people, to, mm. like create spectacles to they break into like the I guess it's not really breaking into the kitchens because like I don't know if that's a rule that you're not supposed to go to the kitchens it's not clear I guess <laughs> it's not like they're stealing no the and like they bring back food for everybody they like you know they rarely do it for like personal gain. they normally do it for like amusement of others right mm-hmm. so it's like kind of the same thing yeah So, the last note I have, which I think is, like, arguably the worst, 
and I just took it because it was on this article and I thought that I could like have stuff to say about it is that like they bring up the question of like is Harry actually courageous like where does his courage come from and does it come from a place that like would put him in Gryffindor or does it come from a place that would put him in Slytherin so like does his courage come from like or does his bravery come from a place of courage and chivalry or does it come from like a place of like rash decision making in the face of fear and why I think this argument falls apart is because I don't think that being brave because of rash decision making in the face of fear makes him a Slytherin I don't like I don't see the flip side of it you know Slytherin's I would say are less rash than Gryffindor. Yeah. I think either if his bravery stems from either of those two options you said, it's both of Harry Gryffindor. Yeah. Source. That's why I was like struggling to kind of see their argument. I think it was basically just like an anti-chivalry courage argument. Yeah. And not so much a this is the Slytherin courage and this is the Gryffindor courage and this is yeah. why Harry is the th- Slytherin courage. I think they're just trying to kind of like maybe call into question the the courage. root of his bravery and courage and kind of where that comes from. Um, yeah. Because, you know, like he says throughout the book, like, I just got lucky. I'm not actually that great of a wizard. I'm not actually that brave. Like, I just get put in these situations and I know how to get out of them but like I said I think that's a weak argument because I do think that like one thing you cannot take away from Harry is that he is brave I would argue that that whole like trope of Harry's is like the most Hufflepuff thing about him (laughs) you know yeah yeah like the fact that he's like I was lucky you could do this too like I just learned a few spells like it's very humble and, like, uh, not even, like, yeah, I think both a true Gryffindor and a true Slytherin would kind of lean in and be like, yeah, like, I'm really good. Yeah, like, I'm really There badass. is something about me that is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Hufflepuffs are not willing to accept that. Hufflepuffs are like, no, like, anyone can do what I did. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, humble to a fault. Yeah, yeah. Um, But even if I were to, like, talk about this, I really still believe that, yes, while a lot of, like, Harry's luck and, like, his ability to succeed, like we talked about in the first episode, comes from luck, comes from, like, him just kind of, like, somehow always knowing how to get out of these situations not so much because like he doesn't defeat Voldemort until the seventh book right I feel like every other time he comes into like contact I guess he kind of defeats him in the Chamber of Secrets and I guess maybe in the Sorcerer's Stone but I guess he defeats like Quirrell more than Voldemort really that time but either way I feel like a lot of the times it's like him kind of just like getting away as opposed to actually like defeating Voldemort like Order of the Phoenix another prime example like Voldemort just pieces out because Bud shows up like, they don't actually beat Yeah, and beat Dumbledore's him. the one that yeah. actually, like, holds him off. Or the graveyard, like, he just wait, he just holds on long enough to get back to the cup to then yeah. Yeah. port key back. So, I feel like a lot of it's luck. A lot of it is just, like, him kind of, like I said, holding on long enough, having the right instincts to then get away. But yeah. I think that 
all of that comes from like he continues to like put himself in these situations to a lot of the times it's him sometimes it's not so much him but a lot of the times it is his own doing you know that is because he's brave like deep down he knows what he believes is right and he believes is wrong and he will always fight for what he believes is right at any cost yeah yeah right and I think a lot of it is because he wants to he feels like morally like he he's good so he must defeat the evil but also like he wants to protect as many people as possible so is harry a chaotic good i think so (laughs) i would definitely think so he is pretty chaotic and he's definitely a good he's definitely he's definitely a good yeah yeah i can i i I buy that alignment okay (laughs) but yeah so that's kind of like all i really have to say to kind of wrap up i think that the argument that he should be in slytherin really only extends as far as like the similarities between gryffindor and slytherin i think Mm. like the best point is like cunning and resourcefulness in my opinion but i don't think that like him being cunning and resourceful like disqualifies him from being a gryffindor yeah. you know what like you know what i'm saying like i feel like a lot of the points i brought up also work for him being in gryffindor so that yeah. and like like yeah. i said at the top of this section right like he would not have succeeded in slytherin i don't think I don't think he would have made friends like Ron and Hermione. I don't think he would have been happy with Snape as his head of house, with Draco, living with Draco. And, like, that is something we talk about when we do, like, hypothetically sort yeah. characters. Um, even so, if he I don't know. Been, even if he had been happy, I don't think he would have been, like, successful. Yeah. Like, I think he would not have lasted very long. No. And, like, I don't think Hogwarts would have been, like, what it is to him as a Gryffindor, you know? Like, I don't know if it would have been, like, like, yeah, I think anything would pretty much be better than than the Dursleys, but I don't think it would be, like, this safe haven, like, place that he loved so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because of Ron and Hermione. Yeah, but so that's kind of that's kind of all I have to say on that. I think that there are valid arguments, but I don't think anything convinced me that Slytherin should be. I think Slytherin's definitely a second house. Like I think we've talked about that a couple times previously too. I do think that that would probably be his second house. If yeah. I had to pick, but I don't think anything convinced me that like oh no, this is why he shouldn't be in Gryffindor and should be in Slytherin. It's more. This is why he should be in Slytherin, but, like, also in Gryffindor. Yeah, I think that's the case with all of the trio. Like, I feel like, you know, we always talk about their second houses are the Mm. three other houses. And, like, you can, like, convince me of that, but you can never, I feel like, fully convince me that they shouldn't be Gryffindor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Um, so I'm going to talk about Harry's, like, childhood trauma, (laughs) um, and his upbringing, and kind of, like, if, if that background was, like, necessary to form the personality that we see in Harry, if that makes sense. So... The first, like, hypothetical here, then, is, like, if Harry were not raised by the Dursleys, 
what would he be like if he had if Lillian James had survived and he had been raised by them um obviously like that's a huge hypothetical because it's like the whole basis for the book um but I feel like the first question to ask is like would he be more like James because um we always are hearing these comparisons of James and Harry and like he's kind of set up to be like you know if you align the Marauder generation with the Golden Trio generation Harry is supposed to be like the James reincarnation yeah (laughs) um so yeah like when I say more like James I mean maybe the James that we have seen in memories like arrogant entitled kind of a jackass um and I think that like I don't think that Harry would ever be so I I think that if you actually think about Harry's personality in the books it's actually quite evenly split between what we know of the personalities of his parents like it's pretty balanced even though we're always like have this James comparison thrown at us like so much of Harry is, like, good and compassionate and, like, uh, caring or protecting others. And, like, that's Lily, right? And so I think even if he were to be raised by James, he would also be being raised by Lily. Yeah. And so I don't really think that that would make him more of, I don't think that that would, like, imprint James more on him. Um, we also know that, like, the reason that James was the way he was was because, like, his parents were very old and they, like, couldn't have a child and they were very rich and then they had him and he was the miracle and, like, they gave him everything he ever wanted. Um, and I think that if Lillian James had survived the war, they definitely would have had, like, not definitely, but I imagine they would have had more kids. Yeah. And thus Harry wouldn't be, like... That sole golden child, only child, the fo- complete focus of his parents' attention. Um, he would have been, like, an older brother, probably, which carries, like, it truly shapes, um, like, a kid's personality. And I think would even have potentially pushed him in more of the, like, uh, taking people under his wing type personality. Yeah. Um Wait, I thought of something while I was saying that that I didn't have write, written down. God. I feel like doesn't doesn't Sirius or Lupin even say one time, like, you're the best of the both of them? Or am I, like, completely I making like, that up? I feel like Did Lupin somebody does. say that? You're like, you're a better man than yeah. your father was. Yeah. Oh, oh, the one thing, too, that... Um, before I get to my other point on the James stuff, I also think that, like, Harry would arguably have been less like James if you were raised by James because because he doesn't know his father that well, he completely idolizes him. Mm-hmm. And, like, I see knowing your... The more you know your parents, the more you see them as people. Like, I feel like this happens a lot with people, like, as they reach adulthood is, like, you see your parents for, like, you see them as human beings and not just, like, this person who provides for you. And, like, yeah. you see the complicated things about them and the things that, like, maybe you disagree with or 
what not. Like, you know, you see them as a more complete person. And, like, Harry would have been being raised by James, living in the same household as James, would have seen him as a more complete person than he did by not knowing him at all and just knowing him through, like, the memories of his friends. So, um, I think certainly, like, I feel like he would be, like, less would idolize him less and would be less likely to, like, follow in his footsteps. Yeah, and I think also, like, one thing that I think I should, we should point out is that, like, James does supposedly change, right? He is no longer, like, by the time Harry is born, he's no longer this, like, arrogant toe rag or whatever, (laughs) right? Like, he is, we're told that he has changed. So I don't think that, like, Harry would have turned out like him regardless. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then also, I think kind of on the flip side, like, um, I've been arguing, like, he wouldn't end up, like, arrogant and stuff like that. But I think if he was raised by Lillian James, he would be very different. Yeah. Um, I think that, like, being raised and treated as, like, literally nothing by the Dursleys, like... It sounds bad to say it humbled him because, like, humble has a good connotation. But, like, it took so much confidence and, like, self-worth away from Harry. Like, in the end, or, like, as once he, like, is in a place that appreciates him, it actually, like, is what keeps him grounded. Yeah. Right? And it keeps, like, it from going to a 16-year-old's head that the newspaper is calling them the chosen one. You know, like, because it's because he, like, has such a low like view of himself harry like experiences start. like such extremes of the opposite yeah. end of the spectrum it like balances him out almost right like he experiences right. this like like you said like such low self-worth like nobody pays yeah. attention to him nobody loves him and then goes into this world where like everybody knows him everybody yeah. loves him he's this hero like and because of the two extremes it kind of just like puts him in the middle almost yeah where like he he get he like keeps that like humbleness i don't even know what, like what the yeah whatever humility. yeah yeah he keeps the humility that he like gained from kind of the dursleys but like he gained self-confidence from yeah. the attention and like you know we see it swing like there are times yeah. where it feels detrimental to him like you can see the negative effect the dursleys had on him because he feels so worthless often like I feel like in his like his worth as like a person more so than like as like a a student or a wizard yeah. um but you know like then he gets bolstered and supported by these great friendships that yeah. he has and also these people going to his head or this attention going to his head but not actually going to it. it's like building him up to normal um but it also like it makes him work really hard at things at or at least, like, the things that don't come naturally to him. Mm. Like, I think, um, for example, like, he feels very insignificant or, like, in, in incapable in the Triwizard Tournament. Mm. And, like, I think, I think, especially in, like, his first four years at Hogwarts, he is feeling a lot of insecurity about, like, not having been raised in a wizarding household. And, like, that makes him work harder at certain things. And, like, him being younger in the Triwizard Tournament and stuff, it makes him work harder because he, like, knows that he's at a disadvantage. 
So, I mean, like, I don't want to say, like, oh, it was good that the Dursleys treated him like shit because it made him humble. (laughs) I'm not saying that. But I think, like, if you were to, like, take the same scenario where, like, maybe he was for somehow, even though this is not really possible with, like, the way we know the magic works, but somehow, like, he is still, like, quote-unquote the chosen Mm -hmm. one and still, like, the boy who lived and defeats Voldemort, but, like, his parents are still around to raise him like I think that he would have like been raised to like know his own self-worth and like be like accept the attention and rewards that he deserves that like when he got to school and like experienced all that it would have gone to his head yeah you know so like it's almost like that part was a blessing in disguise even though I'm not endorsing like the abuse that yeah. was the reason that he had such low confidence going it's into like, it. It's like almost if he came in with like any ego whatsoever, it would have just been like blown <laughs> up, yeah. right? Yeah. And like I'm not saying that that would have been the case, but like I would believe it if that was like the trajectory of things. Yeah. But like Lily was still his mother. I think that, you know, he would maybe. But I think, yeah. I think Lily would have been a mother who like bolstered her child yeah yeah but like in a good way like I feel like Harry like his parents and him would kind of find a way to toe the line but I do think he would definitely be a little bit more comfortable with attention yeah yes for sure um but I don't think like maybe in a bad way but like definitely in a different way (laughs) but I think yeah yeah I guess going back to like the impetus or the, the like question of this section here is like how like how important was the childhood that he had in like shaping who he was and like I think the fact that we see him stay so grounded and so humble with the crazy amounts of attention and like adoration at times that he receives like that is due to yeah how shitty he was raised that's definitely like say what you want about it like that affected him in that way yeah you know yeah, and so then there's, I don't, like, kind of a nature versus nurture component, like, um, so often, we talked about this a little bit in the Snape episode, like, so often, children who are bullied or abused then turn and perpetrate, perpetuate that behavior themselves as they age, and Harry Are you never... Snape? Did, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, Snape, exactly, and Harry never did, like, Harry kind of broke the cycle. I don't know if it's a cycle because we don't really know that like Vernon was abused or something, right? But like he didn't, um, and like he turns out a good person. And I don't know. You could argue like there are people who believe in like. Uh, I'm not trying to say this offhandedly. People believe to a certain extent in like how much like our genes and our mm. DNA and everything like carry into our personality you know like that that's so up for debate and you could argue that like oh it's the good of Lily and James coming through um which I don't know that I really believe I think it's kind of his specific circumstances and that like he had an out from this cycle of abuse or from this abuse that wasn't he didn't need to use abusing someone else as a as an outlet yeah um but he kind of had, uh, like, he had, like, the, 
I mean, when we see him at the beginning of the book, he, like, says he has, like, dreams of a distant relative, like, yeah. coming to pick him up and take him away from this place. And, like, that's, like, pretty much what happens. Like, he has his dream scenario happen. So that does make it, like, you kind of have touched on, like, a little bit easier, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, like, a lot of people who experience that kind of unhealthy or abusive or, like, what it, whichever, like, extent you want to take it to but that kind of childhood like I'm sure they dream or they hope for some outlet some like savior to come in right some way to escape and like Harry gets that and I think that like it was at an early enough age that like he could still be uh he could not let that define him yeah yeah um and so then I guess this kind of like the next natural like thing to talk about with this and like talking about Harry's childhood trauma is how that might affect him as a parent having his own children. So I'm not really going to talk about cursed child because come on guys. And like, did you really think we were going to discuss that as canon? Uh, but like, yeah, I think the impetus for this discussion comes from that because I don't know that we would ever like be like, oh, we should talk about what kind of parent Harry would be if we didn't see a portrayal of it that a lot of people push back on. So in Cursed Child, we know that he is like portrayed as a bad or maybe like struggling parent. He doesn't have the greatest relationship with one of his, one of his kids. Um, I mean, he literally tells him, I wish you'd never been born. Yeah. Like, real low. Um, So, anyway, in, like, my hypothetical canon, like, looking at what we know about this character, not, like, from the seven books, not from Cursed Child, um, I definitely think that parenting wouldn't have come, like, super easily to him. I think that there are some people who, like, uh, parenting would just be, like, a second nature. And I think it's difficult for everyone, but, like, it's more of, like, you know what to do. And I think Harry would have had to, like, think about how to interact with kids and, like, take care of them and, you know, like, build them into people. Um, like, for example, Ginny or even, like, Ron or the other Weasleys or Hermione, like, they had such supportive parents who, like, modeled that behavior to them every single day of their lives. Like, if you if you have parents that are good at being parents and you see that, like, you automatically know, like, a way to do it, right? Yeah. You, like, if you, like, have a situation come up with your kid, like, you automatically have that memory of when, like, the same situation came up with your sibling and your parent, and, like, you know how your parent handled it, and they handed, handled it in a good way. You, like, have a template, even if you don't choose to be exactly like your parent. Yeah, and, like, even if you're, like, even if you're lucky enough to, like, have your parents still be alive when you have children, yeah. like, you also have them to, like, fall back on and use as a support system. Yeah. Like, you can call them up when you're not sure what to do, or you can drop your their grandkids off at their doorstep whenever you want a night out whereas like if you don't have that like healthy functional relationship with your parents you like not only do you miss out on like them kind of teaching you how to be a good parent as you're growing up it's like you don't have their support later on as like grandparents yeah um so yeah harry doesn't really have that like modeling and that sort of resource but i don't think that he would be bad by any means of the word i mean he has molly and arthur there like like i was kind of talking about as like grandparent parental support like i think yeah that they could be fine um we know he's actually like quite kind and warm and can take 
others under his wing throughout school. Like, I don't know. Like, tell me a person that's not a Slytherin that Harry actually has, like, a, a bad relation or, like, you know, like a contentious relationship, like, in at Hogwarts, you know? Like, of course, like, there are times when, like, he doesn't like, like, Zacharias Smith and stuff, but that's, like, petty teenage stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, he's not, like, cruel to anyone besides Malfoy. Uh, and so like for example he's always nice to Neville um we see him like I don't know like not like take Neville under his wing but he like kind of puts up with him and like not saying that we should equate like Neville to like his kid and Harry's nice to Neville so he'd be nice to his kid but like it's just like someone who is clearly like less well adjusted less good at magic you know like has clearly less has less friends clearly like harry's in a superior standing to neville in like most of the books and harry's not like harry goes out of his way at times to like be kind to him um basically a lot of my argument comes down to like harry's a kind person and like baseline to be a good parent you just have to be a kind person um uh he like we also see him kind of, like, mentor and not really, like, put much energy into it, but always, like, put up with, like, Colin and people that, like, you know, the younger kids that kind of, like, follow him around. Like, Ginny, even to an extent, like, he kind of saw Ginny as a younger sister for a time. And, like, that's a weird thing to say, but, like, he, like, wanted to protect her and wanted to take care of her. And then we also see him in a leadership role with Dumbledore's army. And, you know, like, that is a kind of a teaching role, but also, like... It's, like, he's preparing them for the world and stuff like that. And, like, he's very interested in the well-being of others and, like, willing to do things for the well-being of others. And I think that that's, like, kind of a baseline thing to do as a parent. We also even see him, like, put aside his differences with Dudley. Like, when Dudley is attacked by a Dementor, like, he takes, he brings him home. Like, he's not, like, a trash person, basically, (laughs) you know? Like, he is pretty mature and like able to form relationships with people who he might not actually like genuinely want to be friends with is what I'm saying. Um, we also know that the thing that Harry wanted most in his life, at least at a certain period of time was that was for his parents to be alive. And I feel like he would genuinely just be like so happy that his children had both of their parents and that like he was able to be there for his kids in a way that his parents were not for him, that like he would have want to give them everything that he did not have. Most of those things being like, like support and warmth and love. Like, I think that he recognizes how shitty his childhood was. And because of that, like he would want to protect his kids from ever having that like desire for a father figure that like Harry spent his whole life wishing for you know yeah like you best bet Harry was getting his kids the best gifts for birthdays and Christmases because like he never he like grew up getting like what does he get like a a hanger one time a sock a like 50 pence piece or whatever yeah um and I also think that like any animosity between Harry and his kids would come from, like, the baggage that is carried with, like, him being, quote, the savior of the wizarding world. (laughs) And, like, I think that, like, yeah, that's a lot for a kid to feel like they have to live up to, even if, like, Harry didn't, like, 
Harry didn't, like, try to make them feel like they had to live up to that, you know? Harry didn't try to set that standard. But it is is just, like, a circumstance. And I can see how that would be, like, difficult. And that is kind of the source of some of the tension with uh, Albus, I think, in Cursed Child. But I just think that, like, Harry wouldn't handle it the way that he does in that story. And I think that, like, especially with that specific, like, being the savior or whatever, being, you know, the boy who lived and the chosen one and all of that. Like, he, we have never seen him want to embrace that title and want to embrace, like, all of the credit for that. He spends so much of his time being like, but so-and-so saved me here and -and so-and-so saved me here and I only lived because of this. Like, it was just luck, like we were talking about. Like, yeah, he's not going to, like, then take that and rub it in the face of his kids. Like, we know that that's not something that he's going to do so Mm. what are the odds you think that the three kids um showed up to their first day of hogwarts knowing how to do a corporeal patronus (laughs) i think uh lily probably did (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyway that's all i have yeah i think that like definitely i mean there are very few things I feel like you can go through in life and have it, like, not affect you or shape yeah. who you are, right? And, like, your childhood is definitely a big one of those. So <laughs> I think it's really hard. It would be, like, almost impossible to make the argument that, like, Harry would have ended up exactly the same if he had yeah. been raised by Lillian James. I do think the essence of Harry would say the same, but I do think there would be differences. Yeah. Um, so in this section, I'm going to talk about the possible effect the Horcrux could have had on Harry and kind of like, is there a way that we can pinpoint like where the Horcrux starts and where Harry ends or like vice versa. Um, so throughout the, just to like lay some of the groundwork, like throughout the series, we see that Horcruxes do have an effect on people. I will say, a couple may at least one place online I think it was a reddit thread somebody very confidently stated as fact that like the actual horcruxes don't have an effect on people it's like the protections cast on them So, like, what they were saying is that, like, the reason the locket affected them was because Voldemort put, like, a protective spell on it that, like, made people that came into contact with it, like, in a bad mood. Like, I, I don't know if I buy it. I think that's definitely an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Because the locket is really the only, like, hard core piece of evidence that we have of this like yes the ring affected Dumbledore but that's because like he put it on and that was an effect of the actual protection like that's yeah yeah that was not the ring being a horcrux that was like the protection that Voldemort cast on his horcrux the ring right but like we don't see that it had an effect on him keeping it in his desk drawer all year yeah and it wasn't like a mood effect like no 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 we also the like the diary did have an effect on Ginny but like could we say that that was just because it was a horcrux and not because it was literally possessing her I don't think so yeah so there definitely is an interesting way to look at it because like I like I just kind of spelled out the locket is really the only hardcore piece of evidence we see the horcrux actually affecting the moods of the people who are in contact with it diary is 
maybe support of the hor- Harry being a Horcrux affecting him because maybe it's the closest parallel we have where like the Horcrux, like you could, the Horcrux is the thing that's possessing Ginny and like Harry is occasionally maybe being possessed by his own hor- his Horcrux. I don't know. Yeah, I like, I'll get into it. I'll get okay. into my thoughts on it. Um, but like I said, we see the locket directly affect specifically Harry and Ron, definitely more than Hermione, but Ron the most. Hermione's fine. <laughs> Hermione is just like a little hangry sometimes when yeah. she like, which is like fair. I feel like I would be hangry without the locket in the situations yeah. that they were in and be annoyed by everybody I was around. <laughs> um, so like with that in mind, like, if we are to operate under the assumption that, like, being in close contact with a Horcrux for a prolonged amount of time affects you on, like, an emotion personality level, how could could that, could the Horcrux inside of Harry be affecting Harry on a emotion personality level? I think that, because, okay, Another step back. We know the Horcrux affects Harry, right? Like, that is a fact. We see him be able to see into Voldemort's mind. We see him be able to speak parcel tongue. Like, those are direct effects specifically of the Horcrux. But those aren't effects on, like, Harry's, like, personality or who he is as a person. Um, so I think that, like, one of the examples that I could maybe directly point to was specifically in Order of the Phoenix. Like, this is kind of the mood that we see most closely parallels how Ron and Harry feel when they're in close contact with the locket in Seven, right? He's, like, shorter-tempered. He's more annoyed by everybody. He's more volatile. He's pushes people away. These are all kind of examples of how they feel in Seven when they're in prolonged contact with the locket yeah but does this seem do we think this is because of the horcrux or do we think this is because of what the horcrux does to harry right you know like is it because of the horcrux in harry or is it because of the horcrux in harry that's connecting harry more closely to voldemort harry sees into voldemort's mind more often and then the like him getting worried that like it's corrupting him and him being on edge because of that. And then like Dumbledore pushing him away because of this. Like, is it a, like, you know what I mean? Is it a direct effect or an indirect effect? Yes. And it is an isolated incident, right? Like it is not books one through seven. It's just book five. So I think that lends more maybe evidence to the fact that like it's an indirect effect. Like there's some catalyst that either made it worse or kicked it into gear to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, but then how do you explain six and seven? Because the connection is super strong there, but he's just, like, it's less volatile. Yeah, and, like, I think it's because Harry's cut, like, because I think part of the reason he's so on edge and volatile is because he's so nervous about, like, what the connection does to him, right? Like, he's nervous. He's going to like kill somebody he's nervous he's gonna like be the cause of Voldemort find out where the order of the phoenix is I think he's like got that in check Dumbledore kind of soothes that well in the end of five he has that I mean at least like how it's portrayed in the movies right he has that kind of like 
thing with Voldemort at the end, right? Like, he he finally finds out why him and Voldemort are different. And he had never really seen that before. He, like, never was convinced that he was so different from Voldemort that there's no way he could be corrupted. But Dumbledore finally convinces him of that fact, right? So I'm skeptical, if you can't tell, that the Horcrux had any effect on Harry's personality at all. Because, like we said, the only instance that I can find that his personality is, like, any somewhat similar to, like, how we see it portrayed in the locket is in Five. And I think I've kind of convinced myself that that is an indirect effect of the Horcrux and not a direct effect of the Horcrux. Horcrux, unlike his ability to speak parcel tongue, which is something that is there when we meet him at the beginning in book one and is gone by the time the Horcrux is killed in him. Like the author has come out and said that he loses his ability to speak parcel tongue post the events of the Battle of Hogwarts. So like that is kind of my template for what I'm comparing is anything similar to it's there when we meet him and it's gone post the Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah. And I really can't point to anything. I think that if his personality changed drastically post the Battle of Hogwarts, like we would either have seen that in the epilogue, the author would have told us in a tweet, the author would have written a like an additional writing about it and like yeah. arguably he's like worse in cursed child and not like less <laughs> volatile and angry so i cursed child is not fit into this at all either yeah um so i don't really think the horcrux had any effect on harry's personality who he is as a person i do think that maybe like i kind of brought up earlier it is the thing that like the sorting hat maybe noticed Mm. when he was like you could belong in slytherin like maybe the sorting hat was picking up on that because it is still like inside of harry like i said the ability that like the fact that he can speak parcel tongue that he's a parcel mouth like, proves that it's there and does affect him in some ways, right? Um, I am more inclined to buy the theory, this is a pretty popular theory, that, like, Harry being a horcrux affected the people around him more, mm. i.e. the Dursleys, and, like, them being more short-tempered, angry, not liking him. I think that's, like, kind of a cop-out for, like, their abuse of him but I think it's a very interesting theory to think about because Harry is such a like unique case right like normally horcruxes are not people but we also don't normally see horcruxes affecting it's their vessel we see it affecting people who are yeah in contact with said vessel yeah what about Ron I mean, Ron does have multiple volatile outbursts throughout the series, and we do know that, like, he's the most susceptible between Ron and Hermione, who spend the most time with Harry throughout yeah. the series, right? So I could I could buy it. I think that's kind yeah. of the flaw in the Dursleys, is that, like, if it affects the Dursleys so much, why didn't it affect, like, Ron and Hermione so much? And I think people are just like, well, he spent 11 years straight with the Dursleys. Like, he didn't spend... Yeah as much time cumulatively but I don't really buy that but I do think that is more interesting and more believable to me than the fact that like the horcrux inherently changed who Harry is as a person and affected his emotions and personality yeah 
but that's just me. I also really, I thought I was going to be able to find like people who do believe this and like their reasonings online, but I could not really find anything. I feel like most people were like, because I looked up, like I was trying to look up like Horcrux's effect on Harry's personality or like Horcrux's effect on personality. And they were all just like when the trio are around the locket, mm. like that kind of thing. Not so much the actual Horcrux inside of Harry. So yeah. If anybody has any other, like, more compelling reasons, I would be super interested to hear them. I just couldn't find any that I, like, buy. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I feel like we just offhandedly sometimes are like, ah, maybe it's the Horcrux mm. making him do this. Or, you know, like, maybe that's why he flipped out so much or something. But, uh, like, yeah, when you actually think about it, like, there's not there's not great evidence. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, uh, so for this last section here, I'm going to talk kind of loosely about, like, the prophecy and Harry fulfilling his destiny, question mark, and, like, if a different outcome to the whole saga was at all possible. Uh, I don't really have an answer to these questions. Uh, It's kind of just, like, a speculative thing, as it so often is on this podcast. (laughs) So there are so many circumstances that lead to Harry defeating Voldemort in the specific way that he did that it makes you question, like, if there was a way he could have failed. So, like, it seems, if you are one to believe in fate, it seems (laughs) that, like, fate is really aligned and, like, there are specific things that that needed to happen and did happen um, that feel all individually feel semi-unlikely and then also, like, as a whole, feel even more unlikely. Um, But also, you know, that's the plot of a book, right? Um, So, like, yeah, the prophecy had to be uh, made and heard and passed on in partial, in a part, like, partially passed on. Um, His parents had to be unarmed when Voldemort showed up. Snape had to love Lily. (laughs) (laughs) Lily had to give her life and then, like, allow the blood magic to occur. Um, Voldemort, later on, Voldemort had to use Harry's own blood and, like, make that choice to tether that, like, in, in, uh, inconsequentially, uh, tethered Harry to life. Um, no one else had to be able to no one else was able to kill Harry. Uh, the path of the Elder Wand is, like, important in how he actually defeats him as opposed to just surviving him. Um, and, like, being the master of death, how important is that? Uh, we're actually kind of led to believe that it's not really the thing that, like, helps him survive, but maybe it is the thing that helps him defeat Voldemort. Harry has lots of fail-safes going on, right? Like, if one yeah. thing didn't work to protect him, he had some backups. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I, I, like I said, I don't have a lot flushed out here, um, but, like, the, the key part of the prophecy and, like, what makes me question whether there was any way Harry could have failed at this is that, like, Either the, the line either must die at the hand of the other. So basically that's telling us if Harry is going to die, Voldemort has to be the one to do it, right? That's what the prophecy is saying. And the reverse is true. But let's just think about Harry's death for now. But conveniently, Lily's protection is providing, like, is keeping Harry safe from only Voldemort, 
Like, mm-hmm. we're led to believe that the blood magic only works against the person that it was, like, the sacrifice was made against, right? Like, the yeah. sacrifice was made for Harry against Voldemort. So Harry is protected from Voldemort. But if uh, Lucius Malfoy were to go up and cast about a cadaver at Harry... Like, he tried to. It, it, yeah, it theoretically <laughs> would work in the sense of the blood magic would not protect that. Do we think, theoretically, let's go down this line of thought a little bit longer. Do we think that if Lucius Malfoy cast a body cadaver, would it actually kill Harry, though? Or would it just kill the Horcrux? Or is Voldemort the only person that could kill the Horcrux inside of Harry? I, I think that people believe online that the, Voldemort is the only one who can kill okay. the Horcrux. Okay. Interesting. Because I um, don't know why that would be the case. I don't really either. But that's kind of, it seemed to be generally accepted. All right. I mean, like, um, I, I buy it, but, like, I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, if, because of Lily's protection, no one, uh, so, so, because of Lily's protection, Voldemort can't kill Harry. Because of the prophecy, if you believe in the strength of the prophecy, Voldemort is the only one who can kill Harry. So, these two things... Make him invincible. <laughs> Make him invincible, right? Like, there's no way he could die. And, like, to be honest, like, theoretically, like, sp- like, in a, metaphorically, right, Voldemort kills Harry. But he doesn't actually kill Harry. Yeah. So is Harry continued to be invincible for the rest of his life? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because at that point... Because, like, like you said, if, like, Voldemort's the only person that can kill Harry, and, like, he objectively does not kill Harry, yeah. like, Harry is still alive. Yeah. Is the prophecy saying that Harry's invincible? Either must die. No, 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 because the prophecy is already fulfilled, right? Either must die at the hand of the other. So, mm. so Harry killing Voldemort, or like, the hand of negates. Harry, n- it no longer is, like, Harry right. must die at the hand of Voldemort, right? Yeah, I see, I see. Because it's either. It's not both. Both, yeah. Um, So, oh, I think the reason that people think that Voldemort is the only one that can kill the Horcrux within Harry is because there's a line where Dumbledore tells Snape that it is, quote, essential that Voldemort be the one to kill Harry. Mm. Um, That maybe people are like, maybe he said that because Voldemort's the only one who can kill the Horcrux. Also, maybe he said that because... Voldemort is hinting, like, anyone else could actually kill Harry. Yeah. Unless, like, and we we would kind of be, like, assume that Dumbledore does not fully believe in the power of the prophecy. Oh, wait, could it also be, so, like, sorry, to go more into this, so, like, Lily's protection only protects him from Voldemort, so that is why he's able to survive Avada Kedavra. So either way, if somebody else cast Avada Kedavra, like Lucius, he would die and the Horcrux would die. Because the only reason he's able to come back to life is because Lily protected him specifically from Voldemort. So like anybody, so I feel like theoretically anybody could kill the Horcrux, but it would just also actually kill Harry. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, That makes sense. So the reasons that Harry survived, so this is also a little convoluted because people are like, well, didn't Lily's protection expire when he turned 17 and left the Dursleys? That's not the case. The thing that expired was his, like, not being able to be found by 
enemies while the, like, for perfect the trace. trace his yeah, trace, which is right? what uh, it's what like Dumbledore used some of the blood magic that I apparently was put out there by Lily to like put this protection on Harry. Um, so Harry doesn't live. So that Lily's protection, as I understand it, does not expire. Right, like Harry's always been protected from Voldemort, and the the thing that protects him further is Voldemort taking Harry's blood, tying Harry to life. Because as Voldemort kills Harry, some of Harry's blood is still alive, and and some of that blood is carrying Lily's protection, which is like tethering him right that's the word that like Dumbledore uses like it because he took your blood which has this special magical property into his body it tethered you to life yeah it's very convoluted and we never get like a full like scientific explanation of it obviously <laughs> um but it's magic that's anyway, the <laughs> to get to kind of like the root of this question here to me to me it's me reading the signs a silver lining playbook reference. Harry could not possibly fail, or Harry could not possibly have been killed by Voldemort or or anyone else. So if Harry can't die, and we know by the prophecy one of them has to die, that means that Voldemort had to die. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think that's if you take a very literal, literal interpretation of the prophecy, which I don't even think Dumbledore really does. No, I Dumbledore think, does not. Yeah, he reads the line, either must kill the other, as kind of like, it's inevitable that you will clash. Yeah. Like, it is inevitable. I am inevitable. That's an Avengers <laughs> reference right there. Um, <laughs> it is, like, inevitable that they will eventually, like, come to blows, kind of, yeah. right? Like, there's no way yeah. either of them can live without clashing. Right. It's, like, a series of events that are set in motion. Yeah. When Voldemort first chooses to act upon hearing this prophecy. Yeah. And so, you know, there's varying degrees that you can interpret the prophecy and, like, the strength you give the prophecy. But if you give the prophecy a good amount of strength, it kind of seems that, like, Harry couldn't have lost. Yeah. And it seems that, like, all of those events that I told you about that, like, kind of seem random or seem fortuitous are, like, the prophecy working its magic. Or, you know, they are things that, like, Trelawney, when she sees a, predicts a prophecy or like makes a prophecy, like is seeing in the future, you know the, that that those things are going to happen to make this the end result. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think either yeah. way, like if you read it as kind of like the prophecy is inevitable because it was made, or because the prophecy is inevitable because Voldemort heard it, thus like. I feel like they're all tied together yeah. and no matter what, I agree with like the overall statement that like everything happened to lead to what happened and it was always going to happen. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. And it was yeah. Basically yeah. With all of the things that happened, it was inevitable that Harry would win in yeah. my mind. Like Do it you doesn't Another another scenario does not seem possible. 
Yeah. Do you think that, to go back even further with the logic of the prophecy, do you think that Trelawney would have even been able to make the prophecy that night if Snape was not there there. to hear it? Because theoretically, if she made it and Voldemort didn't find out about it, like, it would not come true. And granted, there is like a line, I think, in five where it's like, there's thousands there's of thousands prophecies, of prophecies like true. they don't always come true yeah. but maybe I with think, how important this one is it was always gonna happen i don't know i don't know i think that so i don't know how i feel but would she have even made it or yeah. not like it i i do feel which i think we kind of have already said that the second that she made it it became true because yeah. we know the second that she made it snape was there to listen to only half of it, though. Only the part that yeah. Voldemort had to hear to cause him to right. act. Right. But would she have not made it if Snape wasn't there? Or if Snape wasn't listening? I don't know. I don't. I guess... Uh, I guess I think that maybe she still would have made it. Actually, no. No, you know what? I don't. Because... <laughs> okay, so no, no, no. You know how they're like, oh, there are millions of prophecies that don't mm. come true. But Trelawney's track record, the two prophecies that she actually makes come true. Yeah. So I think she's like, I think there actually is something special about her that like every prophecy she makes is going to come true. And I think just the like other seers are just like. Not as good. Worse at making <laughs> prophecies. So I think that like, uh, yeah, I think she only, she not necessarily Snape because I don't think that like Snape yeah. ha- like Snape specifically has to be the one to hear it but I think she wouldn't have made it if there weren't a Death Eater or like someone close to Voldemort there to hear it. Yeah. And I think she I guess, wouldn't like, have made it to anyone but Dumbledore. Because Snape still I think like Dumbledore also has to, has to hear it because yes. some, somebody has to pass the information on to Harry to the, also yeah. for, for the prophecy to come true. Yeah. Like both sides need to yeah. know it. And like I, I like what you said about Snape because like Snape, it being Snape that hears it doesn't really come into play until after he's already related to Voldemort, right? Right. So, like, if Snape, like, Snape still probably would have asked Voldemort not, Snape theoretically still could have asked Voldemort not to kill Lily and, like, set that in motion. Even if somebody else related. Yeah, yeah. And, like, as long as I guess it made its way to Snape. Yeah, right. If he was a close enough Death Eater. I think it's helpful that it's Snape because it brings him into the inner circle more and stuff like that. But I don't think it has to be Snape. But I I do think it has to be Dumbledore. Yeah. I agree. I like that discussion. I like, uh... I like talking about the prophecy. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's super... It's super convoluted. Yeah. I don't know. That's the whole point is, like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But... Yeah. I I do think that like in the ways that we can read it or in like at least where we put pick up the plot of the the storyline where we pick up the storyline at the beginning of one or even if you want to delay it further at the end of four there is like no I don't I would say like 99 out of the 100 universes or 9999 out of the 10,000 universes, Harry is the one who wins. Yeah. With the circumstances as they are laid out at, like, that point in time. Yeah, 
I agree. I think it would be... I think it would be extremely difficult for Voldemort to win at this point, especially just because of, like, I feel like Voldemort would have to inherently, like, change as a person for him to find a way to win. Because, like, right. Cause the way he operates. Take Harry's blood. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so I just saw, I was scrolling on Twitter and ESPN tweeted today, 28 years ago, Bulgaria's Victor Crumb made the controversial decision to catch the snitch to end the Quidditch World Cup on his own terms. The finish gave the victory to Ireland 170 to 160. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Um, so that's your fun fact. What is it, uh, what is it called? Like, today in history. (laughs) um i guess the day that we recorded this not the day that it comes out today Mm. in history the day it comes out is the hogwarts express leaves from platform nine three quarters every year yeah um so for today's pop quiz the question is do you think that harry is an underrated character okay we do have one response um let me pull that up i have that okay uh, so Shelby responded on Facebook and said, well, book Harry is definitely underrated. His sass and sarcasm are gold. And then the- I, I think I agree. To, I think I agree. Yeah. I think that I personally don't give Harry enough credit for like how funny he is sometimes, but he has some good moments. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know. I think that. But I, when I came up with this question, I wasn't even really thinking about that. I was thinking about, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, Harry's definitely funny at times. Um, definitely entertaining. But, like, Harry, Harry is so rarely anyone's favorite character. Yes. Or even, like, favorite of the trio. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of, you know, I think it goes back to maybe even what we were talking about at the beginning. Like, there's less to speculate. We know him so intimately well. Like, and like, and because he is just our narrator and our eyes, like, it's kind of boring at times to like think of him as a character. Um, but I think he is like an incredibly complex, complicated character. And I think, like, in that sense, he is interesting, can be interesting to talk about. Like, in the ways that, like, Dumbledore and Snape are interesting to talk about. And also, yeah. he's a great character in the ways that, like, Luna is a great character because, like, there is so much good in him. Yeah. And it's so hard to root against Harry. It um, is, yeah. So I, I just really think he does fulfill, like, being a great character in multiple different ways. Like, he is actually, like, when you think about, like, some of the things that he does and the choices that he makes without being like, oh, stupid, draw Harry, whatever. <laughs> like, he is, like, a good good person, and it's so hard, like, not to root for him. Like, he's so likable at times. Um, and I think, like, able, like, some people are probably able to relate to him very well because we know him so intimately, and I just think, like, he gets, like, no, like, I've never heard someone say their favorite character is Harry. Yeah. I think that kind of he's I agree with you he's a very interesting complex character but he's also like so boring and I think that's why no it's he's always I think that is like it is I think that my perception is that it's very rare for a main character to be like everybody's favorite character which is kind of like what's the word um counterintuitive right because Mm -hmm. like you think that the main character should be everybody's favorite character 
But main characters are so hard to be people's favorite characters, mostly because we always know the most about main characters. We know more about their flaws than a lot of other characters. But I think that's not a valid explanation in this situation because I think one of the we talk about this all the time I think one of the big strengths of the Harry Potter series is how well written so many of the characters are we Mm. see the good and bad and the black and white and the gray in so many different characters throughout the series which I think is not always common in lots of forms like especially shorter forms of media a one book series as opposed to seven a movie yeah. that's only two hours that kind of thing so it's really easy to pick like the gimmicky best friend as your favorite yeah. character because they're just fun they're light they're yeah they're more eccentric than the main character but for harry i think it's because we just spend it kind of has the opposite effect then, like, shorter form characters is we spend so much time with him. It's, like, all right. It's, like, you almost are, like, the stand-in for Harry or Harry is the stand-in for you. And so you like the people that you interact with more than, like, yeah. who you stand in for, if that can yeah. make sense. Um, I definitely think he's underrated, but I think that he's appropriately underrated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I have, like... I think that I have more of an appreciation for him than I did previously. Not specifically, like, from this episode or anything, but I think, like, I don't know. I think, like, as a kid or, like, reading the series, I'm always kind of like, oh, Harry. Like, I don't know. You're kind of stupid at times. Like, that kind of stuff. Like, I don't really agree with the choices you make all the time and stuff like that. Like, why don't you just listen to Ryan? But, um... I don't know. I think that, like, he doesn't... He's underrated because he's the main character, and I think that, like... I think that if he were not a main character, or the main character, he would be more liked for his personality. Yeah, I think that my appreciation for Harry has grown, but I also don't think that he would crack my, like, top 20 characters in the series. (laughs) So, yeah... I I definitely am maybe not so much of a Harry hater as we talked throughout maybe in the first couple episodes when we joked about like never doing an episode on Harry because we didn't want to talk about him. Um, But yeah. All right. All righty. It's an end of an end of an era, folks. Um. So yeah, I'll just say. It's not going to be every other Tuesday. No. But, um, like, the best way to know if we're posting new episodes is just to stay, stay subscribed or subscribe to our feeds. And, you know, keep an eye on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever. Because um, uh, that's the most direct way to know if we have a new episode is it'll just show up in your feed. <laughs> yeah, but if you want a... At least for October, I think that... I or Audrey or we will probably post something maybe the day that we record to be like, hey, an episode will be coming out soonish, right? Like it's on its way. Just because we are so unsure of how October and September are going to work, do you think we'll probably post a heads up on our social media? So if you want to be in the loop that way, you can follow us on Instagram at Podcast, or I think the two most effective ways are Instagram and then join our Facebook group, Podcast group on Facebook. Yeah. Alrighty. As always, 
Thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all wrapped.